Oh, see? See? Yeah? I remembered. <laughs> I remembered to move the background this time. God. Uh, we've got a couple of firsts this one. We've got our first dress uniforms. And first mention of the word Starfleet, which has now entered into our lingo. Still no Federation. I'm still paying attention for that one. Mr. Uh, oh, geez. John Menkowicz actually wrote this, and nothing else, continuing the trend. Mark Daniels is the director. He's a regular, though, so that's no big thing. Uh, Karabatsos actually ended up doing some rewrites on this, just like he did in another episode we already talked about. Oh, and that's probably why everything is weird in this episode, too, especially with the Vulcanian, because that's what, that's what they're called, right? Vulcanians. This is a cheap episode, very few speaking parts. You notice that even though they have several guest stars, only a few of them actually have lines, and some of them only have a few lines. This was an episode that was specifically created in the typical bottle show approach. Um, we need to save money. So let's save money. So they have this episode. Cool. Makes sense. Um, uh, kind of boring, you know? Kind of a boring episode. But let's, let's go ahead and jump into this. So, willful perjury. That's, that's the thing. He's not being accused of, you know, deciding to go ahead and execute Finley, Finney. He's not being accused of de negligence, you know, anything like that. No, no. He's accused of perjury. Interesting way of thinking of that. And then, of course, everyone is very against Kirk, very hostile, you know, very aggravating, because he has been accused of a crime. Yeah, that tracks. It is an uncommonly common. It is an unfortunately common, let me speak correctly, problem where people will automatically presume guilt based on accusation, not any of the 15 steps after that that lead to actually having done something wrong. And that is certainly seems to be true in this episode. I'll talk more about that in a minute, but I feel like there's some definite politics going on here. Kirk himself admits that, well, I mean, the computer can't be wrong. But it is. I know what I did. So, no, sorry, I'm not changing my mind on this one. This is actually interesting. We, we hear a couple of tidbits. First of all, we hear that no captain has ever gone on trial before. Okay. Then we hear that he is being given the offer to sweep this under the rug. Except a ground assignment, you know. Basically, your career's over, but, you know, you can continue to serve in something relatively low-key and go and be ahead of a starbase or something, and, you know, well, we'll just kind of let this one slide. We, there won't actually be any accusation, no actual thing, nothing to blemish the service. This is when politics really rears its ugly head, and this is relative to the earlier thing. They're all against Kirk because, not because they like Finney, and not because they think he's guilty because he has been accused of something, and now he's tainted. There's a stain there, and that stain speaks ill of the Starfleet military. And no, there's absolutely 100% no doubting that Starfleet is being portrayed as a military in this episode. You know why? Because it is a court-martial. I know that that can be debated later. It can't be debated now. Anyways, <laughs> I'm never letting that go. I will admit, you can argue that Star Trek, excuse me, Starfleet is not a military at other points in Starfleet history, just not, not here. So, okay, 
we have this, the, the service. They keep calling it that. The service is now tainted. And we need to, to do this for the good of the service. Kirk decides, screw all that. I'm fighting this. Which is, of course, the correct and right decision. Correct because he is, in fact, innocent. And right because, screw you and your politics. I'm going to not, I'm not going to take a deliberate fall for you. We are left with an interesting question. How many other captains have taken deliberate falls in situations where there should have been a trial and there wasn't in order to protect the service. So, uh, he talks to his former lover, shades of measure of a man here, or reverse, vice versa more accurately, and naturally he mentions, ah, yeah, I'm innocent. And she says, what's well, out the rumors say? Oh, yeah. There's that uh, rumor mill automatic bias, guilty until proven innocent mentality again. I don't think she's guilty of that, per se. In fact, she actually goes out of her way to help him several times. But she will, of course, do her job. Duh. And, um, yeah. We then lead to uh, Elisha Cook's character, Corgley, I believe is his name, who kind of sucks in this episode. The actor's all right, but weird in his presentation. And I've I've always wondered why. So... Not a lot of behind-the-scenes information on this one, but I want to share this one with you, okay? Give me just a second. This is from Black, I'm almost positive. You're going to have to give me a second to find it. Because it's bouncing around so much in episodes that I don't... I haven't been keeping bookmarks like I usually do, so I just kind of try and figure out roughly where I am in the episodes. Oh, jeez, hang on, hang on. Uh, it's Aaron DeMercy, Chasing Armageddon. Like I said, this is... I'm very professional, and you can definitely tell that I definitely know how to perform my job. Where the crap is this stupid goddamn episode? I'm going to have to look this up, aren't I? So while I, I talk about this here, let me come up with a topic while I'm looking for this. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, Elisha Cook's weird. He's just not that well that good. Spock also is brought to the stand and argues. Oh, yeah, there's also... I'm sorry. There's this big thing about books. Books are better than computers because, of course, they are. That's how that works, right? You ever notice that that's just a weirdly recurring trend in TOS? I've already seen it three times from random people saying, how, oh, you're so electrolyzed, you're so mechanicized, you're too much of a computer, you lost the human element. Where the hell is Court Martial? Oh, it's way over there. I taste for him again. Um, so, you know, you've got to have the human element, and we've got to have books. And he makes this huge impassioned speech later in this very episode for no reason, I feel like adding, because it's unnecessary to the actual defense. On the precepts of, well, we've got to have the human rights in blah blah blue Where is this coming from? On a sci-fi show, no less. I don't know, it's just a weird thing, and it's a consistent thing, and it'll be coming up more in the future, so look forward to that. Anyways, court-martial. So, ah, this is from Mark Daniels, not Black, my bad. I thought it was a, wasn't a very good one, and I didn't like the episode, no surprise, because the actor who played the prosecutor, Elisha Cook Jr., wasn't very good with his lines. When you're on a six-day schedule, which was the mandate at this point in time, by the way, um, trying to make time, you've got to keep stopping and going back, and it drives everyone absolutely crazy. You've got a courtroom scene, and you're shooting him a line at a time because he can't remember two. When you put him into the editing room, you don't see that because you cut to him and someone else and back to him. But... He had a terrible time with that. These are the kind of things I remember. I'm just, I'm flabbergasted. The very idea of an actor being hired and then being put on set and then not being able to memorize their lines. I know that, you know, I personally suck at memorizing lines, so I would suck at that tremendously. But 
God's sakes, these people, they do this for a living on a daily basis. Like, it's actually insane how quickly they can pick up their lines and how quickly they can recite them on command. And it's, it's, it's phenomenal, actually. I'm actually rather envious of their capacity because, like I said, I can't do that. And apparently neither could he. Anyways. <clears throat> Moving on. Uh, Kirk, uh, Spock. Spock argues, you know, this whole thing is wrong. I am half Vulcanian. I'm not merely making an assumption. This cannot be a truth. And what's funny is she tries to outlogic him here by insisting that he is only giving his opinion. His response is to outlogic her. If I am on a planet that has a positive gravitational field and I drop a hammer, I do not need to look at it to know that it falls. Now, that's actually a failed argument too, but it is still a far more amusing one than hers and certainly has a lot of validity given the circumstances. This then leads to... Um, uh, I can't remember her name. The, the woman who's the... the personnel officer, and then McCoy. You see the pattern of what she's trying to establish. First, she establishes the computer says this. Okay. Then she establishes there is definitely antagonizement between Finney and Kirk. In that direction, Finney hates Kirk. Then she tries to establish that Kirk hates Finney, or at least the possibility exists that he hates him. Okay, now that we've established all that, let's show the video evidence of him hitting this. Wait. Wait. Hold up. <laughs> um, this is uh, monumentally stupid. Now, I know this is TOS, and we have to give a lot of leeway to TOS. And I have been, well, you guys probably don't agree with this, but I think I have been exceptionally lenient and have just been jumping over giant leaps in, huh? With regards to a lot of things. However, Kirk has some buttons on his chair right here. And he goes to hit those buttons. One of those buttons is yellow alert. One of them is red alert. One of them is the comm that he uses all the time. And the third one is jettison pod. Now, do you see the problem there? If not, allow me to run you through this. Either this is the most monumentally stupid decision I have ever seen in the history of Starfleet Engineering, and that's a hell of a list, or some moron actually decided that on the list of things that the Starfleet captain needs to be able to do at a moment's notice with a flick of a button right there is jettison a pod. What? By the way, what's really funny is while there are other elements of this, the whole episode tilts on this axis. If it wasn't for the fact that that button was on his chair, they would have to completely restructure everything here, make it, and, and mind you, they already have near perfect visual uh, evidence of this happening, which the tampering of which is not, not, okay, like I said, I have to give it some slack. Gotta give it some slack. But I want you to think about what would be involved in editing a moving video to add someone pressing the button at a certain time in a certain way, specifically so that that documented evidence would be such falsified in this manner. Really think about that. So, as a quick aside, that's always irritated me in fiction. Uh, it, it's usually used even worse than this, when someone just makes perfect visual evidence that's, that's tampered. And what it is, is in real life, they just film the scene a different way, so that way they have the second scene. But in-universe, that's always just made me go, do you have any idea what that takes? 
And it's usually not even done in a sci-fi work. It's usually just done in like a cop drama or whatever. And it's like, oh, sure, uh-huh. Yeah, let me hack the video. Anyway, sorry, rant off. But I'm willing to let that go. I am not willing to let go of the fact that he has the frickin' Jettison Pod button on his armrest. That is Interface 101. If you have a button that you use all... God, it's, it's video game logic. It is. Because... You need the, the primary buttons that you hit most of the time when, it, when you have, like, a controller. I've got my Switch Pro controller right here. I'll use this to demonstrate. So I hold it like this, right? Now, uh, there are certain buttons that I hit all the time. That is the Zabie buttons right here on my right thumb, the analog or the D-pad right here on my left button, or my left thumb, and the L's and the R's, which is right here for my pointer fingers. These are the primary buttons. Anything else is something I have to reach out of my way or stop normal movement in order to hit. With me so far? So those are the buttons that get priority. Now, I want you to imagine that in some video game you're playing, you, you've, you've got all these buttons, and one of these primary Zabie buttons here, one of the, the right thumb buttons, is something absolutely nonsensical that you would barely ever use ever. Like... Zooming in the map, and nothing else. Like, imagine, you, you don't even have the map up. You have to hit another button to open up the map, and then you have to hit B in order to zoom in the map. Just picture that for a second. I, I imagine some of you out there are actually picturing games that have done this. I can name a few that do this thing. This this is a basics of interface that several game des, game designs fail. You don't want a button you hit all the time to be an esoteric button, and you don't want an esoteric thing that you only hit periodically to be a primary button. So, admittedly, people could screw that up in real life, so I'm destroying my own argument. But the fact remains, this is nonsense. Not that controller. That's an awesome controller. So, after the visual evidence, by the way, in my notes, I just have, like, three question marks and a bunch of underlines on the armrest, just to make sure I really emphasize that point. Kirk starts to question himself. That's actually good. It's a good character moment. If all of the years I've done, everything I've gone, God, maybe I am wrong. Notice he doesn't give up. He stands by his own innocence. Jamie comes in, you know, the child, and she's like, God, I'm sorry, you know. She doesn't have much presence in the episode, but she's actually good. Notice that when she comes in earlier and screams, murderer, murderer, he doesn't hate her or get defensive. He's just like, no, I'm sorry. It's, it, it's, it's okay. Rant at me. Rage at me. And later on, you know, he's, he's forgiving and understanding. Of course he is. Kirk really didn't have any hatred or, or, or virulent or malicious thoughts towards Finney or his family. Why would he? Now, I want you to keep that in mind. I'm going to be bringing that up in a minute. He also offers the lawyer a chance to leave. Lawyer says, no. And then at the last possible moment, Spock comes in with the evidence, because that's how this always works in legal drama, even though that makes no sense. It doesn't work that way. But again, given it slack, it's okay. It's okay. Because I like the chess scene. It's a good scene. Spock is there playing chess. McCoy walks in, rants at him. Spock's like, yeah, huh. So I just beat the chess five times in a row. McCoy's like, wait, what? It could be better. I don't want to oversell it, but it's probably the best scene in the episode. So then they go up to the... They, they go through way too many theatrics. Let me just get that out of the way. But one of the things the theatrics get across is the idea of the infallibility of the computer. This is another thing I'm willing to, to give the episode leeway on. Why? Well, if I mention to you right now that there's an episode where the drama sits on computer evidence and you are f firmly convinced that, it, that it, they are innocent, right? 
So what's your first thought? Tampered evidence, screw up on the computer, software glitch? These things are normal now. This episode came out in 66, or 67, I forget which. Mid-60s. So establishing and going through all these motions to really make it clear to the audience that this is actually a computer glitch and an instance of tampering, I, I can kind of get behind them bothering with that kind of prep work in order to establish that point. So, okay. Willing to give you that one. Then we have two weird scenes where Kirk just decides to narrate out of nowhere. It's not even a log entry. He just straight up narrates. I have no idea what's up with that. It's really weird and out of place. It it feels like it belongs in another show. Moving on. Then we get on the ship, and it's like, okay, I'm getting everyone off the ship for the sake of this. This is already getting stupid. And uh, that means our orbit's going to decay because we need a last-minute threat. I don't think this is the first time we've had that, but at the same time, it does kind of feel like the first time we've had a, you know, a threat, you know, it's got to save the ship in the last minute kind of a deal, because that'll be a really common Star Trek thing later on, too. Anyways, so everyone gets off the ship, and then they go out of the way to establish this guy. Now this, (laughs) this, once again, I'm not willing to give them any slack on this one. Think about this, okay? They have an audio sensor that can detect everywhere on the entire Enterprise. They don't have scanners. They can't detect life forms. But they do have an audio sensor that can selectively pull out a heartbeat of every living person on the ship, including an alien, but also gets rid of every other noise. Think about how many noises are on a ship. Think about how many noises are in real life. Like, I don't know if you're going to be able to hear this because I do some audio filtering on my own videos, but, like, if I was just to... Take my sleeve, take my other sleeve, and just rub them together. I'll do it right in front of the the uh, mic here. Like, you hear that? I don't know if you do. Just as me moving around here, I'm generating noise. Because the fabric, you know, you've probably heard my chair creak as I sit in it and and rotate around, because I don't sit static during these these videos or my streams. Yeah, there we go. Creak, creak, creak. There's a couple of good ones. I, I want you to imagine... The ridiculousness of the fact that this audio sensor can specifically pull out just heartbeats and get rid of all that other nonsense and can then selectively remove specific heartbeats, which actually that there's real audio science behind that one, so I'll give you that one. And in so doing, identify where he is. And I do stress where they actually figure out which part of the ship he's in. This is simultaneously more pathetic and yet higher tech than actual Star Trek scanners. This is legitimately impressive in a weirdly dumb way, and I don't even know what to make of this. I just... So anyways, they figure out where he is, and look, it's another crazed member of Starfleet. How many of these are there? I hate to point this out, but this is also going to be a very recurring trend going forward. Maybe we should keep track of how many crazed Starfleet members there are, or how many times there's a, a, a venerated member of Starfleet, or the Federation, who is the villain. Like, like have those two categories going. This, it's, it's getting to be a trend, is all I'm saying. So he's raving. Arr! Now, this is funny. He is raving and lunatical and... Lunatical? He's a lunatic. And... He's talking about, oh, they ruined me, and, and it's destroyed, and my career's destroyed. Okay, first of all, this guy is so loony, I was amazed he was able to accomplish anything that he did. And mind you, he manages some very high-tech stuff. 
here's the thing. In the middle of his rant, he mentions that he's totally cool with killing the other members of the court. Why? Because they're not innocent, because they're part of the service. And he mentions that the service has kept him down, and the service has destroyed his career. And I don't think they even did this on purpose, but all of a sudden the episode just comes into focus, doesn't it? Because he, he, he wants to take this out on Kirk, of course, but Kirk didn't do anything against him. Kirk mentioned that he screwed up, because he did, and that blot meant that he couldn't be promoted, because the service couldn't have someone with that stained of a reputation rise through the ranks. That would look bad on all of them. And now you see the dirty politics on display here. God, this, this is more messed up than half of what DS9 ever did. And I mean that legitimately, not as a meme. The idea that there's a, a, a club, a gentleman's club, of the Starfleet upper brass who have decided to, to offer guilty parties that they believe with 100% certainty are guilty a pass so long as they don't get, you know, their, their crimes don't get pulled into public record and the implication that that's happened before, and deliberately keeping down a good officer because of one blemish on their record. That is messed. I love it. I would really enjoy it if they actually did something with this. They never will, of course. But damn, that is some interesting implication, isn't it? Unfortunately, I don't have much else to add. They, they find him. There's another weird narration bit. Big kiss. The episodes are starting to end on wah-wahs. You know, we actually already have already had that. I should have pointed out we had our first uh, extended laugh sequence already. Like it's a... What do you call it? A soap opera. Not a soap opera. A... Uh, <sighs> Damn, I can't think of the term. A sitcom. We've, got, we've already had the sitcom endings. I should have mentioned that when it happened. I apologize. So we're already starting the sitcom endings, which is... One of the worst things about TOS, in my opinion, and also uh, excuse me, TNG Season 1. But that's all I got. The service. God, that's chilling. I need to write that story now. I hope you've enjoyed my thoughts. See you next time.